It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here, as always, with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by investigative reporter for the Miami Herald, Julie K. Brown. She is the woman who is the reason you know anything about Jeffrey Epstein, and she has a book out uh, building on her three-part award-winning series on Epstein called Perversion of Justice. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. Good. How are you guys doing? Listen, you know what? I'm, I'm grateful this book is going to um, be in the world because I think this is one of those stories that um, it feels so unresolved. It's still unresolved, oh, literally. Totally. And it feels yes, yes. it it feels like one of those stories that there was almost a moment where there could be accountability and then that suddenly seemed to be lost when Jeffrey Epstein um was found dead in his jail cell. And in this book, um you you basically say you do not think um that we were given all of the information. Um, that we need um, to be able to determine uh, the circumstances around his death. I'll say, I'll put it that way. So first question is, going into this book, um, what are some of the things that we were told about the circumstances um, around his death? Um, and what questions do you, do you hope to answer or think we should be asking that need to be answered <clears throat> through this book and the information in it? Well, one of the themes, the ongoing themes of this case is how much we don't know, primarily because the authorities have kept it from us. This isn't just information we don't know because we don't know it, but there are a lot of documents that are still under seal. Um, we know that, for example, in connection with his death, uh, the two corrections officers who are on duty have pleaded, have struck some kind of a plea bargain, which means uh, they're going to be silent. Um, and, uh, you know, the DOJ had like two investigations that were that are ongoing. We still don't know the results of that. Um, you know, the video, what happened to the video? Why aren't we told why the video doesn't work? I mean, it just there's too many coincidences, too many things that <clears throat> went wrong. And given the fact that he allegedly had been found in his cell <clears throat> harmed uh, one time previous to this, <clears throat> which they have said was an attempted suicide. Why would they not be watching him more closely? Right. Why did they remove his cellmate right before this happened? <clears throat> you know, it's just one hole after another that we don't, you know, that no one is is telling us or giving us any answers to. Do you have a theory as to what happened? I mean, it, 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 listening to you talk, it's certain, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people believe that that was probably not the suicide and probably not the story that was, the, the story that was given to us was probably not the truth. Do you have a theory as to what actually happened or is it just that the evidence is too scant to say this is definitively a suicide? Well, what I can tell you is I investigated prison deaths for four years before <clears throat> I took up this case. And uh, I know the way that some of these deaths are made to look like suicides or accidental deaths. And uh, 
you know, I, and I'm not saying this happened in this case, you know, I could just see it on Twitter. All right, over. right, right. <laughs> I, I don't really know. But um, but typically what I have found from, you know, investigating these kinds of things is they usually just hire an inmate somewhere in the system and, and let them go over there and do their business, so to speak. Um, keep in mind that this that Jeffrey Epstein was probably the highest profile sexual child sexual predator, uh, you know, in the history of at least in this prison. So these kinds of predators, um, you know, that prey, prey on children are the lowest part of the prison hierarchy. So it would have been a real prize, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so to speak, uh, to, to kind of to get him. So it's not in my mind, out of the realm of possibility, given the fact that we don't, there's so little we know about what exactly happened. I think it's actually the the coincidences um, that just just came to seem to keep popping up. Like it's incompetence compounded. Um, and when whenever there's just like everybody's incompetent that day, like nobody's on their job, that's when it seems like something else is going on. Um, and I think you know, we're, we're sort of right to highlight some of those questions. Um, we have a trial coming up, though. So we're, we're in a moment where with Jeffrey Epstein, we won't be able to um, get any sort of justice within the court system. But with Ghislaine Maxwell's trial coming up in November, we will see. Um, I, I want to ask about actually the the prosecution part of this because i think unless you sort of watched all of the epstein documentaries which if you haven't i understand why you haven't sort of been like at home like yeah, i definitely want to watch that today but if you if you haven't watched <laughs> then that, go to bed you you may not be familiar with the circumstances around how he got away with it the first time so he ends up in prison and obviously we've been talking about the circumstances surrounding his death in prison in new york um, but the only reason why that prosecution happened uh, is because there was a new prosecutor here who was like, wait, uh, Julie, Julie Brown's reporting in the Miami Herald um, really doesn't sound good in terms of um, what the prosecutors in Florida did to allow him to get away with it. Can you just remind us and sort of um, lay out how he got away with it in Florida that sort of even led to the New York case in the first place? Well, one of the things I go through in my book in a lot more detail than I was able to do in my original series was all the different connections between the prosecutors who handled the case and Jeffrey Epstein's lawyers. He was very adept at being able to hire lawyers to help his case in, in, in ways that you wouldn't necessarily think of. For example, uh, one of the state prosecutors assigned to the case who was gung-ho on prosecuting him um, um, Epstein hired her husband's law partner to defend him. She had to then step down from the right. prosecution. And she was the one that was ready to process. I mean, he had to know she was going to be, you know, aggressive in prosecuting him. So what does he do? He, 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 he creates a conflict of interest. So she right. has to step down from the case. And that's just one of many, many, many other things that he did like that. I mean, he he found a, a defense attorney who had dated the head of the U.S. attorney's criminal division. Um, so, it, it, you know, there were all kinds of connections, maybe even some we don't even know about uh, that happened here. And that's one of the ways he was able to manipulate the system.
Wow. It feels like, I mean, the title of the book is Perversion of Justice. It feels mm-hmm. like that is the ultimate story. This, this was an open secret, like before your reporting. Can, can you talk a little bit from an investigative reporter standpoint? Like, what is, what was it like chasing down something that everybody seemed to know a little bit about, but for some reason, nobody was talking about or taking seriously? Was this, was, I mean, it, 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 like looking in hindsight, it seems like it was a dream assignment, but whenever I read about what you went through in order to just to do the work, it seems like you had to face a really uphill battle just to cover this story that everyone kind of knew was was happening. Well, I mean, that was the challenge because it had been written about so much. And uh, so that presented a huge challenge for me. Um, and I wanted to undertake this because nothing that I read or heard about explained to me why and how he got away with it. Mm. So this was sort of a mission that I was on to find out how he got away with it, because there were plenty of stories that said he got away with it, you know, but none that analyzed how he did it. So that's what I set out to do. And on top of that, I I also felt that the uh, voices of the victims hadn't been heard. In one of the ways he got away with it was because, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, these girls were not treated as victims by the prosecutors. So their voices were not, you know, there was nothing about them in the story. And it's a lot easier to dispose of a case when you don't have victims in the way. Right. Right. And you actually did a lot of firsthand interviews with those, uh, with those women. Um, Can, can you talk about what it's like talking to them? How, how are, how they're experiencing uh, the attention finally being paid to, to their case? Well, I mean, I think that this, I, I, I think, first of all, they have connected. Um, a lot of these victims are now friends with each other. <clears throat> and so they've uh, formed this support system, which I think has helped somewhat. Uh, I think they're still angry, They, you know, over his death and how the system once again dropped the ball because why weren't they watching him, you know, and making sure that, this doesn't happen. Nothing happened to him. Um, so I think there's, they feel a lot of different emotions um, about this, but uh, at least they're finally being recognized as victims, you know, because for so long they felt so much shame at what they had done because remember they went there to earn money, not, not uh, for sex. I mean, they weren't mm-hmm. explicitly told that's what they were, that they were going to do that. But in their own minds, they thought, how did I, how could I have been so stupid? How did I let this happen? You know, so finally there was, you know, a a reckoning that this, you look, you were 13 years old, you know, how are you to know, you know, he abused you. It it was not your fault. The other thing about this story, I, I, I don't know that I totally understood what, there was many different facets of, of what he was doing in terms of trafficking and abusing women. So, so in Florida, which is what you focused on in your original piece um, and how he got away with it, what he got away with was, you know, trafficking the girls that he would bring into the home for, to abuse them. Um, And, you know, in a lot of circumstances, he was getting, 
um, teen girls from the lower income neighborhoods um, on the other side of Palm Beach. And there was like the, the island that all the rich people would go to as well. In terms of sort of the full scope of his criminality, do you feel like we know everything or do you feel like, you know, even the case in Florida is pretty narrow in terms of what they were investigating and charging him with? And I feel like there's there may be more. Is th- is there more? Yeah, he he had a whole um, make no mistake about it. He had a whole ecosystem of people helping him. Um, you know, from the butler who was answering the door. Remember, they had chefs that were serving these girls uh, snacks every time they came. Um, you had uh, pilots that were flying the planes with these girls on board. Um, he had um, schedulers. He had even people in finance. Uh, you know, it, there were a lot of people um, that were around him. He built this whole sort of this whole operation. Now, of course, a lot of those people are claiming, well, we didn't know. We didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, you would think that prosecutors even now would, um, and I hope they are, we don't know, they might be pursuing other charges against other people. Yeah, I mean, the, the description of the ecosystem is, is so very chilling. Um, it's easy to imagine one man who is a monster. It is much harder to imagine one man who is a monster and then dozens of people who are willing to um, willing to help them achieve their goals, their their monster goals. I, that's that's where it becomes it becomes truly terrifying. So I, I think it it almost sounds conspiracy theory like in its improbability that there would be chefs and caterers and schedulers and pilots and and all kinds of people who would be willing to sort of turn a blind eye to this horrific use of of many 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 young women. Um, what is it like to cover something like this in a moment when conspiracy theories are are more prevalent than ever before in the country? You had to watch the rise of QAnon and this like weird constant discussion of pedophile rings that didn't exist as you're trying to uncover the story about the one that did. What mm. was what 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 would, what is that experience like? Do you ever come in contact with with Q people? Do you ever have to to wade into those waters because of your expertise? really i i kind of ignore it because you know look there were so many rabbit holes you could jump down in this case even before i published you know i got a lot of different tips about things and you'd go down this road and then you'd hit a dead end and realize oh my gosh i could go back because uh you know i described some of them in the book you know some of the dead ends that i that i read you know hit when i was covering it but um you know at, you know, I still get I get emails. I think I just got one like yesterday or the day before from someone who claims Epstein is still alive and, and he had a reconstructive mm. surgery. And it's it's more bizarre than even that. It goes into all this other conspiracy stuff. I you know what? I just don't pay any attention to that because it's not uh, based in fact. And you know, as a journalist, uh, you know, you want some some grain of truth or something but these people don't have even a grain of truth to them it it sometimes bothers me the ones that are on the all over the internet 
you know, doing that kind of thing um, because it really hurts the real victims, you know, mm -hmm. because they're spreading these conspiracy theories. It loses sight of the fact that it, um, you know, that there are real victims in this attached to this story. And to talk about this case in, in those kinds of terms, I think ultimately hurts, hurts the victims. Yeah. Certainly because the, the, the QAnon stuff is, is, it's dark and ridiculous. It's like, not just, um, you know, that somehow there's this conspiracy of, of pedophiles, but that they worship the devil and that Hillary Clinton eats the children like that. And that yeah. it's so out there. Um, and the reality, that's not the, you know, the real story. The real story is the one that you've reported on, which is that these powerful and well-connected um, people were abusing teenage girls um, and some young adult women um, for decades and escaped accountability for it for a really long time based because of the power and connections and, um, you know, that influence um, that they were able to wield. The story itself is sensational enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I don't you don't need to do the, the yeah. Um, would want to embellish it because it's, it's, it's unless, you know, you saw it, you know, in the court records and <clears throat> talk to these women, um, you would think, you know, if you saw this as a movie of the week, oh my gosh, this is so weird. This one, this is, uh, our, you know, this isn't something that's not going to really happen. Um, but it did happen. And, uh, I think that we would do better to use some of our, um, resources toward getting at the truth of what happened and why it happened rather than invent new new conspiracy theories around right it. right isn't, no need to do that we don't we have enough of those we're all full up here thank you um isn't this also like a death of local news story the 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 fact that that i mean if it weren't for you you specifically we would not have the information about this case that we have there should be more of you in, in every major city uncovering all of the open secrets that people just sort of know and know that people are getting away with doing something bad. And, but we, there aren't a lot of Miami Herald's left. Like is, is, is that, is the, the collapse of the local news ecosystem going to lead to more Jeffrey Epstein's or to more corrupt people getting away with what they're, they're doing. And do you ever think about it from, from that angle? Yeah, I think about it all the time because, mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, my career started in very local news, you know, weekly newspaper in New Jersey. And, you know, and then I went to daily and then bigger daily. And um, during my career, I, I mean, I've covered countless corruption stories. We've caught so many people either stealing money, um, you know, hiding um you know, corruption. I mean, when I think about my my long career and I think about, well, what if we didn't have that local newspaper anymore? Who's going to really watch, um, you know, the hen house, so to speak? Um, do we want the Fox Guardian? Because that's basically what happens when you lose a local, local newspaper. Right. right. Well, one of the other questions I have um, is about sort of where this case could potentially go um, in the future. I mean, obviously, I mentioned Ghislaine Maxwell, um, who's on going to be put on trial in November. Um, but it feels like he was doing 
when when we talk about trafficking i i feel like we we don't necessarily we we all think of like i don't know maybe like the movie taken or something i don't know what you think of when when you hear the phrase human trafficking but i learned a lot about how women are trafficked through this story that <clears throat> that's different than sort of some of the assumptions we may make um how, how is it true to your knowledge that he had cameras in his, you know, penthouse apartment in Manhattan and basically was recording everyone who was coming in and out. And that includes like dignitaries and very important people and teenage girls. So right. he has, I mean, that that's the rumors that there's tapes somewhere of all of these important people, um, you know, meeting up with girls, underage girls. Is that one of those sensational rumors that there's some sort of tape out there? Is that what Ghislaine has? Um, is that true that he had cameras just outfitted in all of these properties recording people while they were doing um, crimes? Well, I mean, we haven't seen those tapes. We don't really know for certain. That's another thing that the authorities really haven't spoken about. But what I do know uh, from my research in this book is that he had um, computers um in his mansion in Palm Beach that contained, um, we don't really know what, what was contained on him, but we know that he took them out right before the police mm -hmm. came to the search warrant. So presumably they contained some incriminating things. And every time the uh, federal prosecutor wanted to get a subpoena for those computers, uh, she was thwarted by her, uh, her superiors at the, Justice Department. I, I, you know, it's inexplicable to me why they wouldn't want to get their hands on those computers unless they knew that, that there was something really bad on them and they didn't want to open that, you know, open that can of worms, so to speak. And um, there, in my mind, there's definitely, he was definitely, look, he was a very wealthy man. I'm sure he had cameras just for security reasons, number one. And number two, um, I think that you know, even the threat, let's just say he didn't have this, this incriminating film, uh, but even the threat that the, the possibility existed would have been enough for people mm. to be concerned. Right. Do you think that this broadens at any point? We know that, that Epstein pressured his victims into having sex with his powerful friends do where, or to being abused by his powerful friends. Do, do we think that those men are ever going to face any kind of justice uh, with the trial of Ghislaine starting soon? You know, I just, I don't know. Um, I tend to think no, because I think that it's just too messy. It would be too hard to prosecute that aspect of the case uh, because there's only really one or two women that have gone public with that aspect of, of the um, of Epstein's organization. So I, I do know that some women, other women um, have corroborated this, that, that he was pimping out girls and young women to powerful people. But those women are never going to go public because uh, Virginia Giuffre, who is the one woman that has gone public, has been attacked. Her mm -hmm. whole life has been torn apart over this. So, you know, 
think about it. If you, if you, if you were one right. of those people that had sex with the powerful, one of those powerful men, you're, you're going to keep your mouth shut about it. Right. Yeah. Well, all we can do is watch the rest of this play out and keep reading your reporting and hope that there is, yep. there is more of it and, uh, and, and that there are more Julie K. Browns out, out there in the future. Um, the book is Perversion of Justice. Um, obviously, we highly recommend it. Julie K. Brown, thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning and being so dogged on this. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.